Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Master Your Mental Podcast. If you are new here, my name is Paris, and I am the creator and host of the Master Your Mental Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here to tune in and hear my amazing guests and I describe the ways we can leverage and shift our mindsets to take the best possible care of our mental health. I launched the podcast as a way to motivate, inspire, empower, and educate people on these interesting topics. My background and passion for this all stemmed from the field of psychology. After completing both my BA in psychology and my MBA in healthcare administration, my passion for mental health only continued to grow. As a result of this, I launched Master Your Mental to bring more awareness, tips, and conversations to the table about these topics. You guys might be wondering, what does the mental stand for? Well, it stands for mindset, engagement, nutrition, talk about it, accountability, and love yourself. These are all the building blocks that make up what Master Your Mental is all about. If you would like to learn more, become a guest, or connect, feel free to reach out to me by shooting me a message on any one of my social media platforms you guys can find in the link in my bio on my Instagram at master your mental. Now let's get into the episode guys. Hello guys, and welcome to this week's episode. I'm very, very excited about this because this is something that we have not gotten into at all yet on the podcast. And we are talking all about complex trauma And the reason I wanted to do this episode is because I got connected with this week's guest for you guys, and she shared with me a little bit about this, and I thought that it would be so important to share because something that we... I I think is so important to dive into in terms of trauma is the way that trauma can have long-term effects and have severe consequences and negative impact on us and the ways that we can work towards healing this, overcoming this and attacking these challenges. So I have someone that I'm going to be bringing on for you guys in just a moment. I'm not going to tell you a lot about who this is because I'm going to introduce her to you guys in just a second, but this is something I'm very passionate about because I talk a lot about or have talked a lot about in the past. Um, about my own traumas and my own experience with this. But I think that this is something that everyone can benefit from because all of us have experiences in our life that we can look back to or think about that have been traumatic in some sense for us and how, how these things have contributed to the development of us as a person and how to move forward from these moments and just really, uh, crack that code and tap into this on a deeper level. So I really wanted to get into this conversation because this is something that I have not brought to the table yet for you guys. And I'm always looking for new things, new tips, new tricks for you guys on this topic of mental health and trauma this week is what we're going to be getting into. So I hope that you guys enjoy the episode and enjoy the tips and story and experiences that my guest shares with all of us because this is something that I know will definitely help you guys out. It has definitely helped me out. So I always love to bring things to you guys that have helped me out and been beneficial to me because you never know the benefit and effect that it can have for you guys. So I hope that you love it as much as I've loved creating it. And I love you guys. So let's get into it. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Master Your Mental podcast. As you guys can see from the title today, we are going to be diving into uncovering complex traumas. And of course, I have an awesome special guest for you guys. Today, we have Andrea Hansen. She is a complex trauma expert with a master's in education from the University of Utah and a neurobiological breakthrough expert specializing in addiction and reshaping the psychiatric and mental health stigmas. I'm very excited to have her here with us today to dive into this topic. So without further ado, welcome Andrea to the podcast. Thank you, Paris. It's good to be here. Awesome. Good to see you. And I can't wait to dive into this because you guys, this is something we have not talked about yet. We haven't covered. And I brought the perfect person to uncover this topic and just completely get into it with us. But before we go ahead and do that, I want to talk a little bit more about you and what you do and what lights you up. So tell us a little bit more about you and all the things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really love my work. Um, it's, it's interesting to, to think that I love my work because it's working with a lot of complex trauma and really getting into the weeds. But I find that there is so much beauty and resilience that happened in these moments when we really, really dive deep. And so a bit about how I got where I am. I, uh, I grew up, when I was really little, I wanted to own a bakery. I wanted to go all over the world and learn how to bake and then oh, bring back nice. my favorite things. and. <laughs> Um, and start a little shop with like some karaoke. I don't know. I had all kinds of great (laughs) (laughs) But as I went, I I felt really drawn to the mental health industry. And that was in large part because I came from a a really chaotic divorced household. And we saw a lot of therapists and psychologists, a lot of them court appointed, and they never really did anything. They kind of mm-hmm. assessed and had conversations behind our back. It didn't really help much. And it was one of those situations where I, I did need help mm-hmm. and my sisters needed help and my whole family needed help, but we weren't getting help. We were just getting tossed around the system. And then in my, in my teen years, which is a lot of times when um, symptoms of complex trauma start to show up in a bigger way than in childhood, I started to struggle pretty hard and my parents responded to that by sending me to a treatment facility in Utah. And I don't know if any of the listeners are familiar with the treatment centers in Utah. There's been a whole big thing with Paris Hilton recently. Yeah. Have you heard of those? Yeah. Is it the Provo Canyon? Is it? Yeah. That's one of them. It's a multi-million dollar industry here in Utah. And it's really, for the most part, terrible industry. Mm -hmm. So you, you go in, unwittingly for the most part, lose all of your rights. At the treatment center I went to, we didn't get to have shoes. Um, We didn't get to stand up. We didn't get to look at each other or talk out loud. Um, So I was there for six months and I think I saw my therapist maybe a total of two times. Oh my goodness. So again, I was in this situation where I needed help and the professionals assigned to help me weren't helping me. So I moved on from that and then I really decided that I wanted to be a therapist that really helped people. So I started volunteering at the, at the rape recovery center when I was 18 and then went into graduate school. Well, went to to school and then graduate school. And then I found myself in the mental health industry. And I found that there was so much red tape and so much in the industry that really holds it back from being effective. Mm. So after a couple of years in the industry, I decided you know, I'm going to kind of step away from this 
and do what I know is really effective after going to a ton of trainings and working with a ton of clients. I was like, I, I know what's actually effective and I know what the mental health industry isn't allowing me to do. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to go out and do it. What I know is effective. And so that's where I'm at now with diving into just being a complex trauma expert. That is so amazing, especially how, you know, you've taken your own experiences from being inside of the system. And you said six months at the treatment center in Utah and really seeing, you know, the things that aren't working and what's going wrong and how the, how the needs aren't being addressed, right? How you're dealing with this and you're struggling with this and you know, something needs to happen or change to alter that, but there's almost like no solution. You know, you've been trying all these things. And I think that's so wonderful that you took that experience and you didn't let it you know, continue to be a burden or a problem for you took it and you turned it into something that you can take and show other people like, Hey, here, here's what I experienced and what I went through and what works. And here's a tool I can give you. So this can make a difference because especially when we're talking about complex trauma, I'd love to kind of get into that with you and dive a little bit more into that. Cause, um, I'd love to kind of hear you explain, you know, what is complex trauma and what have you learned so far in your work that you've been doing about it? Yeah, totally. It It is interesting. We hear a lot about trauma and PTSD, but we don't hear a lot about CPTSD, complex trauma. And that's in big part due to the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, the DSM, that houses all of the diagnoses for the mental health industry. And complex trauma really encompasses all of the symptoms that are in the DSM. Uh, so it's not a specific diagnosis. Mm. But what it what it stems from is any moment in our lives when we, our systems are so overwhelmed that we can't, um, we can't move through it in a natural way. We can't be ourselves in that moment. We have to adjust ourselves. We have to either adapt to something that's happening so that we can get through it, or we have to mitigate around it to try to avoid it from happening again. That actually disrupts our neurology and our neurological development, especially when we're children. So that's what I mean by complex trauma, these moments that happen typically in the home or in complex settings that make our neurology disrupt and not develop the way that it's supposed to, which later in life causes symptoms. And it also starts to make us feel like there's something wrong with us. Hmm. So in in less complex trauma, so so take like a car accident, for example, um, that you can go out and you can talk about. I was in a car accident, um, there's typically someone who was in the right and someone who was in the wrong in the car accident. So you can either be the perpetrator or the victim in that kind of situation. There's not a ton of shame around talking about it for the most part. But if you take a situation in the home, say for example, you have a parent who actively struggles with addiction. And so they're not always at home. They're not always in their best mental headspace to be dealing with children then you start to question yourself. And evolutionarily, it makes sense for us to question ourselves rather than our parents because we need our parents to survive. So we don't think, oh, my parents are an alcoholic, they have issues, but it has nothing to do with me. I'm a totally fine kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe yeah. mm-hmm. There's something wrong with me. I'm doing something wrong to make my life this chaotic or to make my parent mean to me or to make my parent not want to be around me. So that's, oh. that's where complex trauma comes in. It's much more wrapped up in self-doubt and shame and neurological disruption. 
Wow. So when, when you hit on that piece of shame, I thought that was pretty powerful, especially when you mentioned like the the example, right. Of talking about the car accident and being able to go out and, you know, talk about this and say, you know, this happened to me and this went on. But then when we talk about more, more complex situations and things like that, not being able to express that or know really how to communicate that, um, in a way that, you know, will, um, work for you. Right. So what, what have you found to be helpful in overcoming that aspect of self-doubt and shame with being able to break through these things? Yeah, it's, it's so layered because what happens is we start to develop all these defenses around it and we don't even necessarily acknowledge it. So a good amount of time we're living our lives totally on autopilot and not even realizing how much these moments of complex trauma are affecting us. They can manifest in so many ways, in an inability to concentrate, in chaotic relationships, even in obesity or in autoimmune diseases. It comes up in the body in so many different ways. So the first thing to do is to acknowledge it and to say, you know what, if I acknowledge that I have complex trauma, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me. And it doesn't mean that anybody's the bad guy. It doesn't mean that anybody's to blame. I think that's one of the biggest barriers to acknowledging complex trauma because we don't want to feel like we're blaming other people for our issues or thinking that our parents are bad people. That's not the case. Mm-hmm. For the most part, everyone's doing the best that they can. And we can acknowledge that and also acknowledge that there are things that we need to look at within ourselves to heal. Wow. And I, I love how you bring that back to that aspect of blame, right. And, and wanting to place that on others. But then when I feel like what, what kind of came across in the whole thing you said right there was compassion, right? So learning to develop this compassion and self-compassion for ourselves, because, you know, something that I found is it's not, that's something you're not taught, you know, you're not really taught that anywhere or, you know, how to have compassion for these things when these moments do happen or when these, when you're in these situations, because I feel like what you said is so true. It's so much uh, more common to shift to, you know, blaming yourself or something must be wrong with me as a person or defective about my, myself and the character that I am. And you kind of internalize that. And I feel like that is what, like you said, puts that barrier from being able to acknowledge it and say, you know, this is, this is what's gone on and to acknowledge it. And then also express what you said, which was really great is, you know, there's nothing wrong with you as a person and like to start to take those steps of moving forward, I think is definitely, of course, like the first main step. And what, what did you, what would, what would you say is like the most helpful for, you know, the, like navigating, right. So from the beginning through that journey, um, is it something that's a lifelong thing, like continuously working towards this and prioritizing that, or what do you think that overall picture of, you know, breaking down these barriers looks like for complex trauma? Yeah. So it's, so with my clients, what I do is deep dives in the deeper neurological regions of the brain and in the body, because that's where trauma is stored. It's not helpful. In fact, research shows that it's only 2% effective to talk about it. So if you're seeing a coach or a therapist and what you're doing is talking about it and trying to change your mindset around it, that's really not going to, to work. It might work in short little bursts, but then what happens is you end up in this war with your upper brain and your lower brain. And that can increase this feeling of defectiveness within you because it's not resolving. Mm. Whereas if you focus more on the lower brain and on the body, you can really recalibrate the system to be able to react to your environment differently. And one of my favorite tools to use is psychedelics. And that it's a little yes. bit of a taboo subject. <laughs> 
but I, I really love working psychedelics. They've been used since the dawn of time in all kinds of healing and spiritual rituals. And one of the ones that is FDA approved pretty much everywhere um, and that is really common, but really mis misunderstood is ketamine. Mm -hmm. So ketamine is in the psychedelic family and in high doses, it's used in like dental procedures and veterinary procedures and also in battlefields um, to, to get people dissociated enough to be able to perform surgery on them. Mm -hmm. But in very small doses, it's, it's more of a psychedelic where it pulls away the upper regions of your brain that are those blocks and all those barriers and all those walls that we set up. And it makes it really easy to open up and dive down into the lower regions of the brain that's actually storing all of the, the complex trauma. Wow. That's, that is so interesting. Cause I feel like I've heard, you know, a, a little bit about this, but I love having you on here to really break this down. Cause I feel like, you know, people hear about, you know, you get a diagnosis, right? Like you get diagnosed with depression or anxiety or with bipolar disorder. Like I was diagnosed with at 19 and you're put on these medications. And, you know, a lot of people have such a hard time with, you know, finding something that works for them or is effective and kind of you know, it is kind of discouraging, you know, when you go from this to this thing, that is thing. And then it's almost like you start to find yourself in a state of being hopeless, almost like, oh, like I'm never going to find a solution. You know, what am I going to do? None of these things are working. I'm trying this and I'm trying to stay positive. So with, when it comes to psychedelics, like with ketamine, you're talking about what is, have you seen like the differences between that opposed to like traditional treatments? So like taking like uh, different medications that we hear, hear about, what have you seen in, in your work that you've done with your clients? Oh yeah, totally. So back to kind of what's going wrong with the mental health field and the DSM, yeah. <laughs> where, where that bipolar diagnosis is stored. It's that, um, it's a manual that was created by psychiatrists in the 1980s who were trying to make the field seem more medical they all needed a common language to use. So they came up with a DSM that housed depression, anxiety, bipolar, ADHD, borderline personality, all of those things, so that they would have a common language. But the issue was that they couldn't find any validity behind any of those diagnoses. So validity would mean that you can actually find the, the diagnosis in the body. So you go to the doctor and you think you might have strep throat. And the doctor doesn't interview you to see if you have strep throat. He swabs your throat to mm -hmm. see if you have strep throat. And then you either... You, do or don't based on the test that's then done. And that's the validity behind the diagnosis is the actual infection. And then based on the infection information, we know that certain antibiotics are going to be helpful in treating it. But with there being no validity behind DSM diagnoses, there is no effective treatment mm. behind them. Unfortunately, though, the pharmaceutical companies had a total field day with the DSM because if you don't have to actually validate a, a disease, you can medicate it. So you can get everybody on earth diagnosed with a mental illness because there's no line between normal and mentally ill in the DSM. Even in the DSM-5, there's it's just gotten worse and worse with every edition. Um, and there have even been several national research, um, research uh, companies that have decided to pull all funding away from the DSM because it sent the mental health field in the complete wrong direction. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you have researchers like Martin Teicher, Ruth Lathias, um, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, and they have been researching complex trauma. And there is validity in complex trauma. They can see the brain scans of how exactly complex trauma impacts the brain. So these, 
these uh, medications that come with the DSM, that come with the, the psychiatric industry, average about 30% effectiveness, and they have really intense uh, side effects. So the, the pharmaceutical company actually has some placebos out on the market because placebos are about 30% effective too, but with no side effects. Mm. So, so people will be on placebos their whole life. Whereas oh, wow. ketamine, mm-hmm. if you use ketamine to, to help heal complex trauma, the results are around 80% effective when used correctly with the right therapeutic support. Wow. And I, I always find that so fascinating because whenever I think about this, you know, if you, you know, I remember when I was younger, right. And when I was actually hospitalized myself and meeting people in, in the facility who were share with me, like I'm on seven different medications, or I was actually pretty blown away by that. I was like, Oh my gosh. Cause I know I was on one and, you know, still being on one and not that much of it, you know, doesn't seem that much, but that's what I always think about is what other things can we do or start to make available for people so they can, you know, start to have this, you know, I guess like confidence in themselves that they can, you know, get better and recover and heal. And I feel like sometimes there can be kind of such a dependency right on the medication. And, you know, sometimes if, if the insurance or it complications with insurance, and if you can't get the medication and kind of like this fear of, you know, what's going to happen to me if I don't have this thing, or if I'm not continuously on that. So, I mean, I would love to hear from you, you know, some recommendations that you've you know, offer to your clients in terms of taking steps to, you know, do different things, whether you're implementing this into your day or to your routine that can help with, you know, improving our mental health, you know, what things would you have to offer for that? Yeah, for sure. So, so one thing that I've been working on developing, I have all of the research behind it, but I'm not a computer person. So I've been working (laughs) on, I'm working on developing, um, what I call lifestyle prescriptions. Mm. So, I do an assessment and rather than finding a diagnosis, because again, invalid, not helpful. And if you get trapped up in that, if you have a diagnosis, then that's considered a chronic illness, then you're kind of a victim to this diagnosis that it really isn't real. The symptoms are real, but the diagnosis Mm -hmm. itself isn't real. And then there's not much you can do about it. But if you can hone in on the exact areas of the brain that are Mm -hmm. underfunctioning, which is what I do with the assessment, then there are specific things that you can add into your lifestyle to be able to heal those regions of your brain. So that, that's, um, that's something that I have been doing with my clients and something that I am making available. Um, and a lot of the things are so simple, like, uh, like just breathing. Uh, there's a simple breath where you can just make sure that you breathe out longer than you breathe in. And that brings your nervous system from a more hot state to a more cool state. So when you're feeling anxious, you're feeling tense, you're feeling like you you need um, some kind of distraction like sugar or drugs or whatever it is, breathing out longer than you breathe in. And we do that naturally when we're asleep. Kind of sounds like. <sighs> yeah, yes. It, yeah. <laughs> it works. I, it does. Like I've actually like breath work and like what you're talking about is I remember hearing about that and thinking, you know, like, what is this going to, you know, cause I feel like being such a pessimist, you know, like how I used to be like, what is this going to do? Like breathing like this or, and, but then when you start to try it and you continuously make it a habit, you start to notice like, 
wow, I'm not waking up so stressed out right now or instantly overwhelmed with all the things I have to do or all the things that are going wrong or all of these things that we like kind of layer up when you start to do that, it really does make a difference. And, you know, I would urge anyone who hasn't tried it to, you know, there's so many free videos and tutorials out there on, especially on YouTube and like the internet of all places, right. To get access to that. So that's a great one. I love that. I mean, what, what other ones do you have that you've offered that have worked? Yeah, totally. So, so it can be as simple as um, making regular eye contact with people that can help your, with your brainstem and the lowest regions of your brain to activate and to regulate in a better way. So if you're struggling with sleepiness or not being able to sleep, or sometimes people struggle with random itchiness, especially when they're anxious, doing things like making eye contact with people and facial expressions even mimicking or making facial expressions like funny ones with other people <laughs> in your life can be really beneficial. And it seems super silly, but we have to remember that our brains have developed since the time we were in utero. When we're first born, we only have our brainstem and the very, very, very lowest region of our brain. And then after, over time, the rest of our brain develops. So in order to heal those lowest regions of the brain, particularly if you had a situation where there was an attachment struggle or adoption or something like that that happened at that very youngest age, then that region of your brain needs some attention. So give, getting that eye contact for it or even tossing a ball back and forth and getting in rhythm with somebody else's body is hugely beneficial. Oh yeah. No, that's, these are all so good. And I love these tips and I just, I love being able to hear a little bit, especially about your own experiences, right. And kind of, you know, what really inspired you to get into this line of work and to really help people with this, because, you know, I feel like the both of us know, you know, a lot of what's wrong with the mental health system and in terms of hospitalizations and, you know, like all the stuff with different issues with medications and all of these things. But I feel like these conversations are so powerful because we can focus on, you know, what's going right. You know, what, what have you tapped into or what have you discovered that's been so beneficial to you? And in terms of just your recovery and working on, you know, overcoming these barriers or these obstacles that have been presented to you, you know, due to complex trauma. So I really love this. And I love, I love just conversations like this and being able to get into this with people who work in this field like you and bringing you to the table on this. And, you know, one thing I would really love to ask you that kind of ties in here with what we've been chatting about is since we're out here on the master your mental podcast, I would love to ask you, Andrea, what are you currently doing right now in this moment to master your mental? What I'm doing right now in my life is learning to trust myself mm. on a really deep level. There are so many things constantly pulling in different directions and ideas and philosophies and, and, you know, what's right and what's wrong and, and really leaning in on, you know, I, I know what I know and I'm stepping into my truth and allowing myself to lead myself. And that it's not from a space of ignorance. And that's, that's what I always, you know, will sometimes battle with myself like, oh, well, am I being ignorant? Am I being uh, silly? But I've done a lot of healing work and I've done a lot of, um, I have a lot of experience in what I do. I've done a lot of trainings and a lot of personal stuff. And so now I'm really at this point where I need to just trust myself. So over the last year, that's what I've really been stepping into. 
That's so beautiful because I feel like that just ties in with so much with mental health, right? When you're able to tap into that of being more trusting of yourself and your journey in these processes, because, you know, definitely, like you said, it's, it is easy to get caught up in those overwhelming moments or these things that we catch ourselves in and to feel like we can't trust ourselves or trust what we're feeling or validate that. But I think that's so important and such a beautiful response and answer. And that's why I love asking this question because you always get different things that, and I haven't heard that one before. I have not heard anyone say that. So I think that's so important and there's so much value in that. So, you know, Andrea, I would just love to thank you for making the time to come out here and chat with me and share your experiences, share these tips and kind of uncover this topic of complex trauma. It was so much fun getting into this with you and you know, hearing your experiences and tapping into this on a, on a more deeper level. So thank you so much for coming out. This has been amazing and I can't wait to share with everyone. Yeah. Thank you, Paris. It was so fun talking to you today. Yay. Awesome. And you guys, whether you are listening to this during the daytime or the nighttime, I hope that you guys all have a great rest of your day. And I'm going to end it on that note and say bye to you guys and bye to Andrea. So bye, Andrea. Bye, Paris. All right, guys, that was the end of the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed creating it for you. As always, if you guys would like to get in touch with me to become a guest or share your thoughts, you can do that in a number of ways. You can shoot me an email at hello at masteringmental.com or you can DM me on Instagram at masteryourmental where you can also find a link in my bio that you can use to find me on all of my other social media platforms. I hope you guys have a beautiful rest of your day and thank you so much for listening to the Master Your Mental podcast. Have a good one, guys. Bye.